Uh, hey, everybody. Good to see you on this rainy, rainy day. I have to admit, when my little alarm went off on my phone letting me know that bad weather was coming up before my actual alarm went off, there was a little part of me that just wanted to roll over. So I'm just, I'm just, being, uh, just being transparent with you. You know, it's kind of that thing. But I'm glad you're here. And uh, I don't know about you, but my plants definitely needed the rain, so I'm glad to see it. And uh, we're all here, and we're gathered together, and that is good news. Now, <clears throat> before I really get rolling here, this is a big day for our brothers and sisters up at the Dewey Church of God, which is up in Bartlesville. Um, yesterday, I had the privilege of sitting in on an interview for uh, potentially a new pastor for that church. I am really excited about him and uh, his family coming in and being part of that church. Um, some of you know that I, my heart is that we have strong churches in, in the Tulsa, Northeast Oklahoma area, and I think that that particular congregation is poised for some real growth, some really exciting things happening, and I think they found the guy to lead them to that. And so he is candidating today at 1030, their service starts, that means he's going to preach a message and they're going to take a vote in the Church of God, that's how it works. Um, I think this is just me prognosticating a little bit, but if he gets anything less than 95%, I'm going to be shocked. So I really, really feel like um, this is something that God is bringing together, and, and that's, that's what we do. It's not that that church is hiring a pastor, but God is bringing congregation and pastor together, and their vote is just affirming what God is doing, and I think that's going to happen. I'm really excited about that. So I'd like to just take a second at the outset of our service and pray for those brothers and sisters. So would you just join me right where you are in doing that? God, thank you um, that we can be united in spirit even though another congregation is in our north of us or on the other side of the planet for that matter. You hear all these things because your heart's on the world. And we pray for our brothers and sisters up at the Dewey Church of God as they as they decide whether or not this is the person that you've brought to them. And so I pray for Pastor Monty and his wife, Melissa, as they're um, spending time with that church, trying to get to know them and, and decide whether or not this is a good fit. And I just pray that you would bring uh, clarity and reveal yourself to all parties involved. And Lord, if, uh, if that is something that you are drawing together, our prayer is that you would bless them. You'd bless them with health and with growth. Um, because we want to see strong churches um, in, in all of Northeast Oklahoma because we believe in kingdom work, not just in church work. And so as we uh, worship you here, we pray that you would bless the worship that's going on there. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Thank you. Hopefully I'll be able to tell you a little bit more about that um, in the coming weeks, but I'm really excited. Um, some of you know that uh, we've had several of our, our staff and our people go up and preach there, and um, uh, I've been consulting with them for almost half a year now, and so I'm just really excited that this is happening. This should be a really good thing. All right, so let's get on to the business at hand. I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Remember, we're doing this series called Living Out Loud, and we're spending the entire summer in this letter that Paul wrote to a church gathered in Ephesus, which is on the western part of, of what we uh, call Turkey today. Um, but back in, in that time period, it was called Asia. And uh, we're looking at um, Paul's words to them because there's a lot of practical advice for all of us in this. 
in this ancient letter. Now, um, you might want to have a Bible for this series. Um, and if you, if you don't have a, a Bible, um, you might want to get a Bible app. And if you don't know where to go, you can download the Thrive Church app. And we got a Bible um, on there for you, so you can do that. That's a hint, kids. Download the, the Thrive Church uh, app. You can go to the App Store or the, what's the, what's the, what's the, the Android store? Play Store, that's right. And uh, you can download, I think it's Thrive Church OK, right? Isn't that right, James? And um, you can get the app there and find a Bible that direction. But you're probably going to want one of these so that you can, you can see how we're doing this. I'll have some of it on the screen, but today we're going to do some hardcore expositional preaching. So for those of you who are Bible scholars, you're going to dig this. All right, let me give you a little bit of study advice, though. And um, let me talk a little bit about context. <clears throat> because very often when we're doing Bible study, um, we take a verse that we want to look at or that we like, one of our favorite Bible passages, and what we'll do is we will take that particular verse and we'll, we'll read two verses before it and two verses after it, and we'll have said that we, we read it in context. <laughs> true, sort of, um, but I think there's a little more to, to context than just a couple of verses on either side of, of your pet verse. Um, we have to keep in mind that these ancient writers were sophisticated, and they, they actually tried to build arguments and build narratives. So it's not just this this uh, simple phrase written by itself, but rather there is a, a broader um, agenda that's going on within the writings. And we see this a lot in, uh, uh, especially in the Gospels, which are stories. And so we think that there's these, these isolated little stories, but they're really connected to one another. But the same thing happens in letters, especially with Paul, because let's be honest, Paul can be a little ponderous and sometimes you got to wade through a lot of things to really get to the message that he's after. And, and we have to be careful that we don't isolate um, a text or a passage by itself. That can be an incredibly dangerous thing as we come to interpret them. Okay, if you're just going to leave it out there, and I've seen this happen over and over, and people end up with just some goofy theology because they read it out of context. They isolate that particular text. And so when we try to draw meaning out of it, we miss um, some of the other things that are going on that help us understand what the author is trying to say. So let me give you just a couple of ideas. I think there are at least two, two, um, aspects or dimensions of context that we need, we need to mention. Uh, my clicker's not working. Can you help me out? Thank you. First one is historical. There is always a historical context because your Bible was not written in a vacuum. Okay? There are very specific um, um, details towards the audience that we have to pay attention to. There are cultural nuances. There is a a historical and geographical setting. Now, a hundred years from now, 
If we read the mass communication of today, there are a couple of themes or ideas that that you just aren't going to be able to get away from. One is climate change. One is politics. Another is um, economics. Those are things that influence the writings that we do today. And 100 years from now, people will go back and look at that and go, oh, yeah, there must have been something going on. Well, here we are 2,000 years later looking at these ancient texts, these ancient scriptures, and there was a a historical context to them. Is this making sense? And you cannot read that that Bible passage um, divorced from that particular historical context. Otherwise, again, you end up trying to isolate it and you're missing some of the true meaning that's going on there. So keep that in mind. Here's the second one. There's not only a historical context, there's a literary context. This is a piece of literature. Somebody wrote this. They actually sat down, pen to paper, and there is a purpose to the letter. There's a message here. There's something that author is trying to say. Otherwise, why did he or she sit down to write it? So there's a purpose to it. And if that's the case, then there's an arc to that writing. There's a, there's a, 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 a pattern to it. There's, there's a, a systematic approach in trying to build that particular message. And we give authors a certain amount of freedom. We at least give them the freedom of selection. They can choose what they want to write about. And we give them the freedom of sequence. They can write it in the order that makes sense to them and what their narrative or what their point is that they're trying to make. Those those are at least two of the freedoms we give them. And so what we have to think about is that the book or the letter actually helps us interpret the passage. So again, you can't isolate that particular text outside of what's going on around it, besides just two verses in front of it and two verses behind it. Is this making sense? And this is incredibly important, is critically important, especially in the letters that Paul writes. It's absolutely imperative that we kind of get a sense of what's going on historically and what's, what's going on in, in the actual letter itself, so we understand really what Paul's trying to tell us. So our task today is to read through Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read through the whole thing, and uh, I'm going to note some important ideas, and then we're going to see how it fits together. So if you have your Bible, grab it, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Let me just read this, and then we're going to go back, and we're going to pick it apart, and I'm going to try to to show you some things. Hopefully I can illustrate this uh, graphically so it makes more sense to you, because I like pictures. I don't know about you, but I prefer pictures. It's just easier for me to understand sometimes. So, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ 
and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, that means non-Jews, by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, those are the Jews, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law uh, with its commandments and regulations. This purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace, to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, with both, uh, through, uh, for through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord and we believe it. Now, do you see what I mean that Paul gets a little wordy? He does, doesn't he? Let's just be honest about it. Sometimes like, oh, come on, Paul, just get to the point, will you? And so you got to wade through some of the, I, I, to me, I think Paul gets so excited about what he's saying, it just kind of comes out, not only in how he preached, but probably, you know, through his pen too. He just had so much to say and wanted to give so much glory to God, and so he just puts that in wherever he can. And so what I'd like to do with, with this passage is to suggest to you, uh, give me the next slide, um, is that there are three major sections and two um, connecting points. And I think this is really important. And for me, I have to see it graphically in order to understand it. Um, just because there's a lot of, of things here that can distract you from what the main point is, just by virtue of the way Paul writes. And so let's look at kind of this first, sex, first segment. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. This is that first block. And here's how it's structured. It starts with, as for you. So he's made a shift in his letter, because in chapter 1 he's talking about something totally different, and now he shifts his attention to the people who are actually reading it. As for you... You were dead in sin, that's verses 1 through 3, verse 4, but because of God's great love and mercy, 
The verse 5 through 7, you've been made alive in Christ. Does this make sense? You see, you wade through all of the, the additional sort of glory to God pieces, and this is the fundamental mes- message of this first section. But it's interesting that in verse 8 and 9, he comes down on this, and he says, but you're not saved by your own work. You're saved by grace. How many of you have, have you heard this? You've, you've been in church before. You're not saved by works. You're saved by grace. Yes, this is excellent classical Christian doctrine. Yay for us. And it's really easy to stop right there. Very simple just to go, oh, yay, okay, we're saved by grace. Yes. And in fact, a lot of people do that. And then we get to verse 10. 10 is that little connecting point. Just a single verse, but here's what it says. For we are God's handiwork, or workmanship, or my preferred uh, translation is artwork, uh, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, this is my second most favorite passage in all of Scripture, and you can illustrate it really well with Legos. I'm just saying, someday you're going to hear that one. Some of you already have, but someday you're going to get this. Favorite passage. So we get to this point. Remember, he says, he says in the, you're not saved by good works. But he says, no, wait, go back, go back. I want to go back to this. For we are God's workmanship or handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, wait a minute, Paul. You mean it's not just about me and my personal Jesus? It's not just me feeling good about myself and the fact that you and I are hanging out together? It's not just about that? Nope. We have a much bigger role to play. And here's the main idea. Here's the thing I want you to walk away from. This is the thing that when you walk out of here, I want this to be on your mind when you go and you have lunch together. Here it is. Next slide. We are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. Do you see that? We are not saved by the works that we do. Rather, the salvation that we receive from God is so that we are somehow impassioned and empowered to do good works. To be the hands and feet of Jesus. To be his representatives on earth. To actually expand the kingdom of God to bring heaven to earth. Are you with me? It is a powerful thing to think about. And here it is in very stark relief. We are not saved by good works. Nope. Mm-mm. This is a gift from God. Remember that idea that we, we read about in Hebrew? The idea of grace is the idea of stooping down to help someone. And this is what God does. He stoops down, gives us this gift to help us out of it. But why? Not just so that we can feel good, although it's okay to feel good about it, but really we're impassioned, empowered now to go and do something for the kingdom of God. In other words, share it with other people because there are people all around you who need some help. They need a God who loves them to stoop down and help them out. And if, if they're going to realize that God loves them, it's because you love them. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we have this little connecting verse. Verse 10, but, but he keeps moving on, which I find really fascinating. Here, here's the next one. Um, the next little block of teaching that we have is verse 11 through 17. And here's how it's structured. 
He starts it with, therefore. Remember, as for you, in that first block of teaching, now he says, therefore. As for you, therefore, verse 11 and 12, remember that uh, you were separated from each other. This was that whole section about being Jew and Gentile, being Jew and non-Jew. Having that separation between the two of you, you're separated from each other. And remember that you were separated from Christ, verse 11 and 12. And then verse 13, but now you have been brought near through the work of Jesus. So it's not just that you've been saved, but you have also been brought near to Christ. Isn't that great? That's great news. I think that's good news. In verse 14 through 16, so you have peace with Christ and you have peace with other people. And sometimes I think we forget that. I think we, for, you know, we have peace with Christ, we have peace with God, yay for me, and we forget the fact, hmm, this gets translated to something else. This is peace with other people. In verse 17, Christ preached peace to everyone, not just to Jew, not just to Gentile, but everyone across the board. People who were far away, in that case would have been um, the non-Jew, and people who are near, which in uh, Paul's terms would be Jews. It even works out in the temple. The way the ancient Hebrew temple was built, you had the Holy of Holies in the middle, then you had the court of priests, outside of the court of priests you had the court of Jewish men, then you had the court of Jewish women, and at the very far reaches, you had the court of the Gentiles. And so depending on who you were, you could get closer to God. But if you were a Gentile, you could get no closer than that outer court. And so they were, quote, far away from God. Does this make sense? So here's Paul saying, mm, everybody's brought near now. Everybody is. Excellent. We have peace with God and we have peace with others. This is that idea of shalom, right? This idea of balance and equilibrium that we have. But old Paul continues. He's not done yet. And we have another little connecting verse here. After this little segment of teaching, we have this, this next little uh, connecting verse. Next slide. Oh, yeah. Um, before I forget, <laughs> when we talk about peace and we talk about all of this, it really is about reconciliation. It's really about reconciling broken relationships that we have with other people. Uh, obviously, this is in dramatic um, illustration when we talk about Jew and non-Jew. But if we want to talk about those good works and this idea of peace, peace happens through reconciliation. Keep that in mind. So then we have this little connecting verse. Ephesians Verse 18, uh, chapter 2, verse 18, here it is. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. We both have access to the Father, we both, both Jew and non-Jew. Now if you were a Jew and you grew up in Judaism, this would have been an inflammatory statement. This would almost be blasphemous. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. We both have access to God? No, 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 no. I'm Jewish. I have access to God. Everyone else has to do it through different means. Mm -mm. Paul says through Christ, everybody's brought near, and now everybody has access through one spirit. Fascinating. We both have access. Christ, who preached peace, 
means we both have access to the Father by one spirit. That's the connecting verse. And so the last block of teaching that we find in chapter 2 is here. Here's how it's constructed. Consequently, remember he starts, as for you, therefore, consequently. That's how you track through this chapter. As for you, therefore, consequently. Here's Here's the ending thought that he gives us. Here's what it all means. Verse 19 through 20. We're no longer foreigners, but fellow citizens. If that's not reconciliation, I don't know what is. We are no longer foreigners, but we are fellow citizens. And then finally, that makes us as human beings, not some kind of a building, the place where that spirit resides. Remember, we have access to the Father through one spirit. That happens inside of you. That happens inside of us. I don't have to go to a building to do that. I go to a group of people, and we have the spirit inside of us. What a marvelous thought. Because that means you can pick up with a group of Christians and go anywhere. That's why we often pray here. We say, God, there are three, two or three of us, and we are gathered in your name, and we know by your word that you're here too. That's what Jesus was talking about. And Paul is just reemphasizing all of that. This is important. This is so important for us to get an idea of what this chapter is saying to us because following Jesus is not about avoiding the wrath of God. First of all, God's not angry with you. And secondly, please, please, please do not reduce Christianity to avoiding the wrath of God, to getting out of jail free or fire insurance. Please don't do that because it's so much more than that. It's not just about avoiding the wrath. It's about having the indwelling of the Spirit. You see? It's something more than just avoiding the negative. It's also about having something incredibly positive, something beyond imagination positive, that the God who loves us resides with us. So let's not reduce it to something so much less. Let's not settle for something less Christianity. And, and, and there's work for us to do. It's not just that we're saved. It's the fact that we're saved to do something with that. And it's always been that way, that there's something that we're in passion and power to actually do. And for us, that includes, at the very minimum, some type of reconciliation, Unity across aisles, whether it's political or denominational, I don't care. There's got to be reconciliation. That's a Jesus thing. Broken relationships, fractured marriages, a strange family, and yes, racial divides. We are saved for the good works of reconciliation. And you know what? It's hard. Get over it. We have to do this. This is what Christ calls us to do. We are saved to be loving and to create some type of reconciliation with people who don't necessarily think like us, who believe like us, but we can still be reconciled. That's the task to which we're called. That's why we have a spirit within us. That's why we have access to the Father so that we can accomplish those kinds of good works. And the joy of all of this kind of restoration and reconciliation is that we become this growing place where God himself dwells. There's room for more. And it's not just because we're a church plant. 
It's because we believe in the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is based in the love of God, and that's ever-expanding. There's always room for more, always. If we gain a whole lot of wealth or gain a whole lot of resources, we're not going to build walls to keep people out. We're going to build a bigger table so we can invite more people to it. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Important stuff. And I, I keep thinking about this idea where God dwells with us, and it kind of reminds me of, in the Old Testament, we see the presence of God in the Garden of Eden. There's this, there's this little interesting phrase here. It talks about where God would walk with Adam in the cool of the evening. As if, like, you know, it's just kind of an everyday sort of thing. You know, they were working in the garden, and he was doing his thing, and, and, and God would show up and say, hey, how's it going? You know, and they would kind of talk, and it was just sort of this casual sort of relationship that the two of them had. I'm sure it wasn't casual, but that's David world, right? And they would have this conversation. And then later on, um, when, they, when Israel left Egypt, they built this tent that would be in the middle of the camp, and it talked about the presence of God coming down into that tent of meeting so that God could meet with those people. The presence of God was there. And then again, when Solomon built the temple and they replaced the tent, it talked about the glory of God coming down and filling the temple, the presence of God dwelling in the temple. When are we going to understand that God's idea has always been to be with his people? Always. That has never changed. His desire is to be with human beings because of his great love for us. And so now we don't have to worry about his, his presence being in the temple. His presence resides with us in spirit. And sometimes that's just mind-blowing. It's hard to grasp, but that's really the claim that we're making as Christians. It's not that you can just have peace with God, that God will dwell with you and empower you and passion you to do things that he wants to see accomplished in the world. God has always wanted to be with his, with his people. And where we find peace, we find salvation and reconciliation. And those are the places where we find God. So when you, when you take out all of the additional words and language that Paul uses, there is the central message of a God who loves you and a God who wants to be with you day in and day out. And brothers and sisters, that is not just good news, that's great news. <laughs>